0: Welcome to Deeper Walk's On The Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Episode 29. We're continuing our Resilient series with a look at Rhythms of Joy and Rest. And I, I've been thinking about this series as Building Bounce and Beyond. But yeah, <laughs> anyway, right. hello, Father.
1: Build Bounce and Beyond. Hello, daughter. <laughs> good to be with you again.
0: Always, always. How are you doing?
1: Huh, I'm tired, but, uh, you know, aren't we always? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, not too tired, though. We had a nice little break just before we got in here. We're good to go. But I can tell. I can just feel it in my face a little bit. Like, oh, I think I am getting toward the end of the day here.
0: Do you need another break after Christmas break?
1: Yeah. 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 You know, it is, we always need to recover from our vacations. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Alas, we are recording this episode pretty close to the the prior one. And so I can't report on how well I did in implementing uh, the building bounce principles you gave from last week, but maybe for the next episode, I can come back with a report because I am going to go. um, I'm actually going to Florida for a class, a one week intensive class. Coming up really soon slash um, this episode comes out at, after I have wrapped it up. So I will be very tired, but I'm going to implement. It's a nine to five class, a nine to five.
1: Yeah. Part. You know, it's. Uh,
0: but it's about healing. So
1: yeah, a nine to five class on emotional healing. That doesn't sound exhausting at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking really forward to it, but I'm going to practice some building bounce principles as we go. So um, in this episode, we are looking at the rhythms of joy and rest. Both joy and rest are so important. So let's let's talk about joy first and just make sure we're all on the same page on what we mean here. So what is joy? Let's start from a brain perspective.
1: So from a brain perspective, uh, again, last time we talked about four levels of brain function and uh, the whole, all four levels are kind of related to joy. Right? And that is that attachment lights up when I see potential joy or potential fear, but it'll light up. Uh, then my assessment center will figure out, is this potential joy or is this potential fear or is this potential bad, right? You can only give one of three analogies. This is good, this is bad, this is scary. Then it goes up to the third level, which is now I'm reading this person. Are they happy to see me? Right. And I'm looking for someone who's happy to see me. You can see this in babies a lot, right? They, they have their eyes are locked in and what they're looking for is somebody who's happy to be with them. And then you get if all that goes well or if it all's within my window of tolerance, then I will get to the top level of my brain function and I will It'll be the easiest for me to act like myself. And so, because all of that is anchored in attachment, we call it relational joy is relational happiness. And that is, I'm looking for someone who's happy to be with me. So, the brain science of this boils down to something very simple. And that is that what my brain craves, what it's looking for, is is looking for the joy that comes from someone who's happy to see me. And we just call that relational happiness.
0: So, joy and happiness, not the same thing or same thing?
1: I would say joy is a subcategory of happiness. Okay. All right. I heard pastors my whole life say that they are not the same thing and make a big deal out of, you know, happiness is related to happenstance. But so is joy. I was like, you look at the Bible, in fact, the Hebrew word for joy and happiness are the same word. You know, so it talks about like a harvest. When the harvest is abundant, and my I'm it says when I'm feeling the joy of an abundant harvest. Well, it's the same as feeling happy because of an abundant harvest. They aren't that different of words. So what we're and so people have tended to over-spiritualize joy. And make it like something that can only happen when the Holy Spirit fills you with it. But that isn't really the point of the through to the Spirit, even. The point is that if the Holy Spirit is operating, it should bring joy. But that doesn't mean that somebody without the Holy Spirit will never feel joy, right? It, it's just like this is a characteristic of it we should be looking for. So when you go through all of this, you know, uh, I would say, again, that evangelicals through the years have tended to overemphasize this difference uh, between joy and happiness, and partly because we try to reduce joy to a choice, and we try to reduce it to something that is is only created by the Holy Spirit. But from a brain perspective, and I would say even biblically, the way the Bible talks about it, joy is a subset of happiness. It is the happiness that comes when I am... With somebody who's happy to be with me, or I'm thinking about somebody who's happy to be with me. That's why, like, even now, we can sit here and think about a good friend and feel happy, right? Because you're just thinking about them. It's like, oh, it would be so cool to see them again right now. That's joy, right? And uh, when uh, we talk about often, like, when if you're as a grandparent, if a a little kid comes wandering into the room, you don't have to say, "Oh, it's my grandkid." I better choose to be happy, right? (laughs) It's like there's this instantaneous thing that comes up, this relational happiness, and that's what we mean by joy.
0: So talk more about the biblical perspective.
1: So the biblical perspective of joy I would say is is again you go back to the Old Testament and where we see it the most is actually in the in the idea of harvest. And that there's an abundance of harvest. So David could even say that my heart is feeling happiness or joy in your presence God the way that I feel at the harvest time. Like that's his analogy. But he also says something interesting in Psalm 1611, where when you dive into the Hebrew, in in English, it says, There is joy in your presence, O Lord. But the Hebrew word for presence is actually face. Mm-hmm. So it's like there is joy in your face. O oh Lord. Well, that fits perfectly, doesn't it? Because that's where we're looking. I'm looking in your eyes. I'm looking to see, are you happy to see me or not? So David's saying, when I look in your face, I am seeing someone who is happy to see me. You go back to the ironic blessing of numbers. May God's face shine upon you. Well, that's a joyful, beaming face. I don't think he's saying may I have a Moses experience where I'm glowing afterwards, right? <laughs> I think he's saying just that there is a joy of shiningness, right, that comes on us because of of that. And you take it on into the New Testament, and 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 you see that even at his at Gethsemane, when Jesus goes into the garden, he asks for three of his closest disciples to go with him, and they let him down, right. But why did he even want them with him, right? He he wanted the added emotional resilience, emotional strength that comes from being with people who are happy to be with you. And that's kind of what we're talking about. When I go through hard times, when I'm going through difficult things, one of the things that gives me resilience is being with other people who are happy to be with me, even as I'm going through the hard thing. And so this connects to God as well. If I have a God who is happy to see me, even when I'm going through hard things, I will have more resilience to deal with the hard things. But if I look at God as somebody to be afraid of, if I think God's upset with me because I'm not going through this properly or something like that, then I am going to lo- miss out on the re- emotional resilience that would otherwise be available to me because of that connection with God. So I'd say that the Bible also, when it's talking about joy, tends to have this relational happiness idea to it, right? And it is this, the thing that we find in the face of God and others.
0: So I... As you're talking about the harvest, I just had two thoughts. One being, so the harvest is a communal, it's a community event. So there's lots of relationship happening there. And then also I just kept thinking, I think it was Stephanie's phrase that she would use throughout Building Bounce of calm, safe and, is it calm, safe and secure or is calm, safe connected? Um, But that, that idea of we're returning to safe, secure and what is the harvest, but a bounty of safe and secure and right. you're doing it in a communal way. And so I just.
1: Absolutely. And it's the idea. It's a party. You mm-hmm. know, why do we like parties? We like parties because they boost our emotional uh, capacity. It's like when I am really happy, it's harder to bring me down. That's the whole point of feral song. Right? <laughs> happy is like, yeah, hey, you can't bring me down. I'm too happy right now. But there is something to that. It's like when I have a lot of happiness, I can handle more emotional weight than when I am lacking that. And so uh, that's. One of the things that these harvest festivals have in common, and it's interesting because when God tells the people to take a week, you know, for this festival and a week for that festival, the word that he uses there is, and have joy, you mm-hmm. right? Do this with joy. So you can tell, um, that's not a command, like choose to be happy, right? It's more of, I'm I'm throwing a party. I want you to be happy, be with people you love, eat good food, you know, all these things that go with it. So... Um, I don't think we need to separate joy and happiness so much as look at joy as a subset. I think it helps.
0: Cool. So, so related and possibly the same answer, I don't know, but, um, how about, so we talked about brain science, we talked about Bible is joy in brain science, joy in the Bible the same,
1: you know, pro most of the time. Yes. I would say that, uh, the, because the word joy in Hebrew, the word joy in Greek, can have a broader semantic range than the way we use it in English. And so it can get a little tricky, like when it uses karis or karin versus, or if it's using, is it shama? I forget the word now. Sama. All right. I forget the Hebrew word at the moment, it's but uh, it's a, uh, when those are going to have slightly different semantic ranges. And so because of that, they can be translated joy or happiness depending on the context. And uh, what we're talking about here is really use of the English language. So I would say for functional purposes, there's no significant difference between the, the way they get used. If there is any difference, it would be based on the contextual use of the word. Simcha. Simcha. That makes sense. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. That has been Hebrew with the Warners. So... <laughs>
1: it's the advantage of having a seminary student. All right.
0: <laughs> I, I had to double check myself there. Let's see. Let's talk more about joy. What is what is the role of joy in emotional capacity?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So the role of joy in emotional capacity is is not the idea that I'm happy all the time, but it is the idea that if I have a, I can actually grow my capacity for joy and my capacity for happiness. And uh, what helps me think of this um, is I heard stories of people who adopted kids from these Eastern European orphanages where their physical needs were taken care of but not their emotional needs. And what would happen is the the babies and toddlers in this place just learned to stop crying. And so everybody assumed they were okay. They're not crying anymore. They must be okay. Well what they learned was their brains were learning there's no point in crying. They just shut off mm-hmm. and it's what we would call a dismissive attachment you know was formed. And also what happened was that their brain's capacity for joy didn't grow. And so when they get adopted, people assume, I'm so happy to see this you know, new, new face that they're going to you know, grow like leaps and bounds, and they don't they don't understand why. Right? All
0: they need is my love. All, All they, need they need is, is my, my love,
1: right? Yeah. And they don't understand why that isn't enough. And the answer is because the, their capacity to receive it doesn't work. So it's a little bit like pouring too much water on a dry plant. It overwhelms it. Or why somebody who's starving can't just have a feast and be done with it. You actually have, have to grow your capacity for food. You've got to grow your capacity to absorb the water same way we've got to grow our capacity to experience joy especially if we didn't grow up with a lot of it
0: well and even with when you talk about um you can misread things um somebody could be giving love and it could be misinterpreted as something else because the wiring or the reading isn't it needs help (laughs) yeah
1: because a lot of people who grew up without that foundational joy in their life uh only know transactional relationships and so because they only know them they will misinterpret your attempts to at unconditional love as you must want something from me because that's the only category their brain has so that's going to have to be grown it's going to have to be developed over time so we go back to this you know idea the relationship of joy to emotional um capacity is actually at the heart of our analogy of building bounds so we would say that um, for the ball to bounce it has to be filled with air and the air is joy and so We need to make sure that we are constantly growing that ball's capacity to hold, you know, more air and then it can bounce more and bounce more. And so, you know, the metaphor breaks down at some point because we don't want a ball bigger than, you know, Mars. But (laughs) (laughs) this is the idea that that, uh, our emotional capacity grows the more often that we experience joy, then upset and then get back to joy and then upset and then get back to joy. So the more often that our brains go back and forth between those, um, the stronger our capacity gets.
0: Can you give me an example of how I might feel a negative emotion, but still feel relational happiness?
1: Yeah. So um, let's just say that I am, uh, I'm anxious and I'm feeling anxious about something. I can, being with you or Ben or, you know, my wife, Brenda, right. But being with somebody who's happy to be with me can help. Right, and it's got nothing to do with counseling about the anxiety. it's got nothing to do with anything else but the emotional happiness or the relational happiness that we have uh gives me a little bit more capacity for dealing with that um so same thing. It's like if I'm very sad, like I've lost something and it, and uh, I'm very sad, it can still be helpful to be with somebody that I know is happy to be with me. And so that relational happiness that comes with joy, the joy of that connection increases my capacity to deal with it, which is one of the reasons why when people grieve, right, you, it's not usually a good idea to just go be alone and be all by yourself. Not, not constantly anyway. You need to, to be around people who are happy to be with you.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking... <laughs> several thoughts on this, lots of experience. Um, but I, am just thinking of grandpa Warner's funeral, which is a time of lots of grieving, but there was also so much joy and laughter and just people being able to be together and reminisce and be happy for him, frankly, because he was very happy to, um, go to heaven. And yeah, it's um, been
1: almost a year since he passed and, uh, it was, uh... It was really remarkable because we didn't even have like an official funeral. We had sort of a come and visit thing and 400 people showed up. Mm-hmm. And for a man who was 97 years old and you just realize how many lives he touched and how much joy those people had in being around each other. And, it's a, and that's a good example because as a former pastor, I've done a lot of funerals and there's as many much laughter usually as there are tears at funerals because you're remembering all of the good things. You're remembering the happy times and it can be helpful uh, in anything we're going through to have somebody, people around you, who help you to remember what there is to be happy about, and what is happy in the midst of all of this, anyway.
0: Yes, and 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 even just today, I I was ha- having some struggles, and my wonderful parents came and listened to me and validated me and gave me a plan for the future to say, look, it's going to be okay and got me back to joy. And I was feeling, I am very close to this emotion right now because I was, I was feeling very overwhelmed, very, um, had mixed, many mixed strong emotions, but I also felt genuinely happy to be with my parents through it. I wasn't, I was able to feel that relational happiness. So,
1: yeah, we've all been there and, uh, Mm. it's, uh, it, it is, something stabilizing, right? Just about knowing you're not alone. Mm So I'm glad we could be there today.
0: (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Very good, very good. Uh, So so let's move on. Let's start easing our way toward rest. So I've heard you say like the flip side of joy is peace. So talk about that.
1: All right. So uh, joy is a high energy emotion. I am so happy to see you. It fills me with energy and this is awesome. But after that, I've got to, Quiet. I got and now I'm still happy to be with you, but let's be quiet together. Let's just be at peace. So peace is that feeling like everything's gonna be okay. Right. I may not have solved any of my problems, but I just have this sense of, you know what, I'm gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. We're all right here. I can rest and I could be happy to be with you in a low energy state. So when I'm happy to be with somebody in a low energy state, we call that peace. So our peace comes from God, right? Again, uh, not because he's the only source of peace in our lives, but because that's the nature of who he is. That when we're around God, he brings peace So Jesus is the Prince of peace. He helps to let us know, trust me, trust in the Lord. It's all going to be okay. Kind of thing. I will take care of you. You can rest. And that's why, you know, as we transition from peace, it, from joy into peace, and then this idea of rest, we see that rest really in a biblical idea that, that it is almost an act of worship, because in resting, we are trusting that if I am not super busy all of the time, God will still take care of me.
0: And trust is just innately relational. So Trust
1: is an innately relational word, yes. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember thinking, you know, talking to people are like, well, where's attachment in the Bible? You know, one of the odder things to me is that the word relationship doesn't actually occur in Greek or Hebrew. So there are metaphors for it, but they don't actually just have the word relationship. And yet we're constantly talking about how relationship is at the heart of, you know, our 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 faith. And it's true, but that's not the word. So I'm looking, where do we see attachment? Where is that? And I think one of the, you know, some of the stronger words are, Trust, know, and love. Right? God says, "Love the Lord your God." Well, that's a bonding word, right? And He says, "Trust me." Well, that's an attachment, you know, that I trust, trusting attachment, safe, calm, and connected. And this idea of knowing somebody is as the idea of intimacy that I am, uh, in, that I know you well. So,
0: don't yeah. forget walking with God.
1: Yeah. So walking with <laughs> God is also a. Uh, the classic metaphor, which gave name to our ministry, right? is the, uh, a deeper walk with God is a deeper relationship with him. And that's kind of the core metaphor that we go with here.
0: Where, where are some places where you see rest as a major theme in the Bible? Well,
1: I start with, uh, Genesis one. Okay. So Genesis one is really a redemption story about how a world that was empty and formless, right? Formless and empty, tohu vabohu. It was uh, formless and empty, was given form and was filled so that it was no longer empty. It was blessed and it was brought to a place of rest. And so in that sense, it's a redemption story because it went from chaos to rest. And so you see that that God is in a sense setting us up going, all right, there is a pathway to rest and blessing in your life and it's me. (laughs) So trust me, obey me, you know, let's walk through this thing together and I will get you where you need to go. And so rest starts in the creation story. And then it goes into the Torah with the idea that God, what was his mandate? If you're my people, that you're going to rest on the Sabbath. That was a really foreign idea. And uh, that you are not only going to rest 52, you know, Sabbaths a year, But there's three other weeks you're going to take off of work and you're going to rest. So he had 70 days of rest built into a calendar, which is exactly 20%. And there's just other rhythms of rest that are built in here. I think the very fact that the day started in the evening and ended in the evening was a way of modeling rest. Like, okay, your day is over now. Mm -hmm. It's time to start going into a quiet and so that you can get up. And I like the way, again, Dr. Wilder puts this in a uh, Pandora problem. He said, you had a chance to join God within his work. And so we see that God is the one who is always working, not me. He tells me to rest, partly because he wants me to understand that he's not there helping me get what I want out of life, right? He is at work and I am joining him in his work. I love the way Henry Blackaby put it, right? You know, where are you at work, God? You know, help me to join you where you are already at work. And that's, um, you know core to this idea of rest
0: one of the things that struck me just this past semester honestly the fall in the fall semester um, was the land resting and how many times throughout the Old Testament we see the importance of you know and the land found rest the land was at rest or do this so that the land can rest and um, I remember one class we were literally he had my professor hadn't even taken us into you know, preaching mode of, you know, oh, how does this apply to me? We were just talking about agriculture in the Old Testament. And it was just like Jesus was sitting beside me, just, you know, chilling, had his arm around me, looking at me like, do you hear this? Do you hear this? (laughs) And and I was like, I hear you. I'm sorry. You know, like he is, you know, all these rules about, you know, don't do not milk this land for all it is worth do not you know cut all the corners of the field and and some of that is for the land's sake and some of that is for taking care of the people who are um less fortunate uh and and, yeah taking care of the community but it was just like yeah do not milk the land let the land rest
1: Anyway. No, and that's where the kind of gleaning comes, right? Mm-hmm. It is one pass across, don't get every last grain you can, and mm-hmm. don't harvest the corners. And uh, it is the perhaps the best picture of margin, right, in Scripture is this idea of gleaning. And again, you look at it, the idea here is that um, margin is necessary for me to be able to take care of other people. Mm-hmm. If I am at my max just taking care of myself, then I have nothing to give other people. And so in this rest is also God's desire for us to take care of others. But this is also we can separate out child level maturity thing here where a child can only take care of one person at a time. So usually that's I can take care of me and not you. But sometimes in reverse maturity or upside down maturity, you have a child who can only take care of other people's needs and can't take care of their own. An adult level maturity, when we're talking about rest and all this, adult, uh, adults are there's enough for me and there's some to share is the idea. I can take care of me and there's something left over to take care of you too. And that's why margin is so important. It's why And it's why rest and rhythm right are so important uh, when it comes to living with peace, which is that low energy uh, side of the joy thing we're talking about.
0: So let's start bringing them together unless you have more to say about rest let's 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 start bring them together what does a rhythm of joy and rest look like
1: so a rhythm of joy and rest again i love i love the uh there was evening and there was morning day 1 you know this idea that the uh, day starts at 6 p.m. uh and I think one of the things that really brought this home was the the, the show in The Chosen that was about the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And you kind of saw the ladies all going to market on Friday afternoon and everybody getting things ready. And there was a sense of anticipation, right? It's almost six. It's almost six. It's almost the Sabbath.
0: Do you see the first star in the sky?
1: Yeah. 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 Do you see the first star in the sky? And uh, there's so what it does is it creates the joy of anticipation. It creates relational connection because you're expecting to have a communal dinner with uh, other people. Um, which means I'm not alone and I'm with people who are happy to see me. Uh, there's going to be a connection with God and there's going to be a day off from work and there's going to be rest. And then you get back to 6 six p.m. the next day and you're starting to prepare for the next day. You're starting to get ready. Right, okay, so I got to start getting everything organized and ready so when I wake up in the morning I can just go. and uh And that's a good model of rhythm, right? That's a good model of how this works, which is – Uh, I think sometimes when we think of starting our day in the morning or starting our day at midnight, you know, that uh, those things are not actually that helpful when it comes to creating rhythm to the way that we live. So here's a a story I got from uh, how to win friends and influence people. Right. The uh, Carnegie, uh, Dale Carnegie. And he talks about Charles Schwab, who most of us know. The name because of the brokerage, but the person Charles Schwab back in the uh, early days of the 1900s, he was brought into a high-end corporate setting, and he told him, he says, I, let me meet with each of your managers. I'm going to give them one tool, and uh, when we're done, you can pay me what you think it's worth." So, the next week, the owner sent him a check for ten thousand dollars in like 1920s money. So that's that's like a hundred thousand or more today. And his one tool was simply this, and that is, he told every manager before they left work to have the top six things in order that they needed to get done the next day. What's number one, what's number two, the top six, that's it. That piece of paper is sitting on their desk when they leave. And I think that there's a picture there. So when they get there in the morning, they're not trying to figure out what they're going to do with their day. They already know I've got to start my day getting this done and knocking these things out. I think that's also a picture of rhythm, right? A picture of rest. It's like, because I'm prepared and I know what I've got to do. I can now rest knowing that I've gotten some preparation. That's why sometimes when you know when I have trouble sleeping, it, it's been helpful to me just to make a to do list and just a list out. Here's all the projects, and this is why I'm having trouble quieting my brain is that I'm trying to hold on to too much. So those kinds of rhythms I think uh, 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 can be helpful to us. Obviously, there's a whole lot more we could say about it, but that's the start.
0: We are, and we are coming toward the end of our time here. You mentioned last week um, about joy camps. Yeah. And I don't know if you're going to be talking more about that at the conference. So if you are, we, you know, but uh, if if you want to. Well, we can
1: touch on this multiple times because it's a core concept. This idea of maturity and emotional capacity. I learned this idea from Life Model and Jim Wilder. So, you know, his core illustration that I first came across was Joy Mountain and Joy Camp. And the idea here of a joy camp is that when you go camping, first thing you do is you set up the camp, you get everything ready, and then you give instructions to people. So you like tell the children, you know, you can't go anywhere your parents don't take you. Uh, To the older kids, teenagers, you might say, okay, you can go to the lake, you know, but that's as far as you can go. And then to the adults, you're like, all right, you can go wherever you want to go, just be back by eight. And so the idea is that by 8 o'clock, everybody is back and they're in the camp and they're eating stories. And in some ways, it doesn't matter whether you had a good day or a bad day. You're going to be together with people who are happy to see you. And whether you're telling stories of how everything went wrong or whether you're telling stories of how everything went right, right? You're you're doing it to laughter and to people smiling and to people commiserating with you. You know, the only thing that's really going to ruin that is if it gets to be like 830 or nine and somebody's missing. And the part of joy camp is that we want everybody to be there with us. We kind of want our family. We want our friends. We want everybody to be back in joy camp at the end of the day. And it's hard on us when they're not. So, the best we can do though, sometimes, is making sure that we're there, but we also want to do everything we can to make sure, especially in our families, that everybody is is, is okay, right, when they're going, getting ready for bed. So, I love that uh, analogy. Uh, The idea is that I go out on Joy Mountain and I. And I overcome obstacles and I have adventures and I do things and I come back to be with my people at the end of the day. So the best analogy I've seen of this, right, was uh, Duck Dynasty. <laughs> and so while people sometimes roll their eyes at me, but it's a Duck Dynasty is, uh, you know, every show. They end with multiple generations of people around a single table laughing and happy to be together. And it doesn't matter whether they had a good day or a bad day. They know they're going to be with their people at the end of the day. And I think that was part of the attraction of that show was that people longed for that. They're like, I wish I had a family like that where multiple generations could be happy to be together uh, on a daily basis. That's a really cool thing. And in doing research on the books on joy that I've helped to write, the uh, one of the things I found was that the happiest cultures in the world – are the ones that have this rhythm built in and have a relational rhythm built in where the people know that on a weekly basis, they're going to be with extended family and they're going to be with multiple generation of people who are happy to be together. So that's like that Sabbath thing we were talking about, where every week, you know, you're going to be with, you know, extended family and friends who are happy to be together. Well, that's kind of built into most of the cultures that have a strong sense of emotional resilience. One of the problems in America, I think, is that we've lost that in most segments of our culture. Uh, and so as a result, we have tended to put all of the onus on being an emotionally resilient person on me as an individual. And we don't understand the importance of multi-generational community for building that resilience.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so much There's a lot there. stuff. Yeah. Um, next week, we're going to start talking about the ABCs of Building Bounce. But for now, any final thoughts? for this episode.
1: Well, again, you know, I, I I'm looking at the, uh, cover of the book, building bounce, how to grow emotional resilience that Stephanie Hinman and I wrote. And, uh, i am looking at the fact that we have a, an old beat up ball that is bouncing in a splash of water. And I know you added the splash of water, which I thought was a nice touch to the picture, but the old, the old, uh, beat up ball was important because we didn't want it to be a brand new shiny ball because a lot of us feel kind of beat up. And the question is, is there hope for me? You know, who've had kind of a beat up life? Is there is there hope for me to still have joy? Or does the fact that I went through so much abuse that I went through so much trauma that I didn't get what I needed? Does that mean that I'm doomed to live the rest of my life, you know, without joy? And the answer is no. And that's the good news is that your brain can grow the capacity for joy for as long as we live. There are specific skills that grow into specific habits that create that level of joy. And so we want to introduce what those are, how we do them. And then as Christians, we have the added benefit of being able to do them with a family of believers and with God himself, who is the ultimate happy to see you person. And so that's kind of where we're going with this is we want to help people understand that there is hope, even if I have been living a a low joy life until now, there is hope for building these skills moving forward.
0: Amen. Thank you, Father. And thank you all for joining us on the trail today. Deeper Walk International is a nonprofit organization, and we partner with people like you in order to do what we do. Some are on the trail with us as official trailblazers who commit to donating $25 or more per month. Because of our trailblazers, we are able to provide free or discounted resources like this free podcast or our video streaming platform, The Learning Library Basic, Also, like the free January conference where John Eldridge from Wild at Heart will be joining dad to speak about emotional resilience that's coming up at the end of the month. So as we close out today, we invite you to consider becoming a trailblazer. You can do this very simply by visiting our website, deeperwalkinternational.org slash trailblazers. And if you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the Deeper Walk podcast and share with your friends. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week.